kids head to the kids table remind you that that is for kindergartners through fifth grade so if you're younger than kindergarten uh well it's it's designed for kids who can read at least a little so uh you need to make sure that they can follow along with the guide and and do the the activities that have been set out for them uh but y'all can head to the kids table Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 17. We're going a little further today than we did in our Connect groups. Um, that's okay, I have that, that prerogative. Uh, it's just a more cohesive unit for, for preaching. Uh, we're continuing a confident stand, our series in a, conf, a confident stand. It's only going to be a couple more weeks and we'll be done with Second Thessalonians. And if you want to start reading ahead... Uh, during the summer, we're going to be in First and Second Kings, so there is uh, a lot of, of narrative we're going to be reading and, and teaching and learning through. This morning, we're looking at 2, 1 through 17, and we are uh, looking at, I forgot my title, there it is, The Comfort of Truth. I didn't put it on my notes, I, I forgot to change that. The Comfort of Truth. Now, before we get there, of course, we need to do our memory verse. And we have a memory verse with blanks this week. And I'm going to stumble. But you know what I have? I have a handy-dandy bookmark that's sitting here in my Bible. Because I went to the foyer and got one out of the information rack that's right next to the Connection Center. Oh, I, I see that hand. I see that bookmark. I see. Yeah, if we're at an auction, y'all just bought stuff. Um, I see a few more. So when I stumble over these words, I'm just going to peek, but y'all aren't going to know it because my back's turned. <laughs> May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. Yeah, not, not 1, 4, and 5. That was the last passage. 2, 16, and 17. All right, we, we need to work on that one a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fail you, but get like a D minus, okay? Um, so, so there's some, some work to do. 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, 2, 1 through 17. Paul here we have to make a decision as we preach a text as, uh, as to what we're going to preach. Some, some texts are, are, are clear. What is being said is a, a, a standard rule for all of life and for the rest of days for believers. Some texts were written specifically to a crowd, a particular church in this case, to address a particular issue that was happening. And that's in this, that's what's happening here. So we have to take, as we read Scripture, as we interpret Scripture, as we apply Scripture, we have to take what the Scripture says, and we have to understand two things. First, what was he saying to the original audience? And then, what is Scripture saying to us? Because it does both. Sometimes those two things are different. 
there's a principle, of course, that we, we, we can learn by what he was telling the church, but then there's that principle that we bring forward from the Scripture. Uh, it, when we don't not eat shrimp anymore because we've moved on from the food laws. Uh, Peter saw that in his vision of the, the, the tablecloth that all the animals were in, and God said, take and eat. And they're, oh, they're unclean. Don't call what, unclean what I've made clean, God said. We, so we get to eat shrimp, and we are very happy about that. We get to eat shrimp and bacon, and we get to wrap shrimp in bacon if we want to. We get to eat cheeseburgers. They couldn't eat cheeseburgers. They could eat burgers, and they could eat cheese, but they couldn't put them together. It's a food law. Don't worry about it. Go back and read. You couldn't mix the, the, the meat with the milk. It was, a, it was a thing. So we take those principles, though, what God has set apart, what God has made holy, we don't defile, or whatever the principle might be from that scripture. This is one of those scriptures. We have to ask the question, what was Paul telling the people, and then what is the principle that comes forward? There's information here that is good information to have, to discuss, and to talk about, but there's a broader principle here that Paul was both telling them and telling us. So, when we come to this passage, we look at it not as a predictive text, but as a pastoral text. What do I mean by that? Well, we, we ask the question, what was Paul intending? Was he intending to explain everything that's going to happen at the end? And the answer is pretty obviously no, because it is very shy on details. I mean, there you, oh, well, he's got the man of lawlessness, and it's got uh, a desolation. He's got all these details. No, he's got some vague ideas, and he talks about this one guy with no explanation about how you're going to know who that guy is or who that guy might be other than the events surrounding it. It's, it's a pretty vague passage, and it, it actually reflects accurately what we saw in 1 Thessalonians, where he's not trying to give them a play-by-play -play, uh, calendar of how it's going to end, but that you're not going to miss it. It's okay that people have died. That's not an issue. Well, it seems then that after Timothy's visit, probably with the first letter, they read the letter, they discussed it, Timothy told them things, well, yes, this, that, that, and that, and that, and he comes back and tells Paul, they're still asking about, well, now what happens, how, how are we going to know then? If, if, if people can die and still make it, how do we know that we haven't missed it? Because there's this guy that says Jesus has already come back. Or this person, or these people, or this group, or we got a letter, or we're not real sure what happened. But somehow they got the idea in the church that they had missed the second coming of Jesus. And, and I, I just see Paul going, okay, no, no, that's not. You, you, how do you think you'd missed it? I told, well, I don't want to get, you know, we'll, we'll get there in a second. So for them, as we look at this passage, Paul is combating bad info. For us, he's combating uh, uh, bad takes made in bad faith. For them, he's combating this bad info. He's not teaching them about the end times. Did I put that in the right order? I did, okay. Um, 
He's, he's com- combating this bad information that they have gotten. gotten. He's not telling them this is how it's going to be. He's telling them you haven't missed it. And it's obvious you'll ha- you haven't missed it because all this stuff that's going on. Now, here's the question we have to ask when we read this text. How does that apply to us if there aren't people in our congregation or in our association here in the area or in our convention of churches if there aren't people writing us letters or showing up at the door saying hey by the way everybody y'all missed the second coming of Jesus just want to let you know well in that sense since that's not happening this text doesn't apply to us in that way how it does apply to us though is that we take this passage as understanding how to combat bad takes on current events made in bad faith. Hey, well, you know, we've got the whole uh, injection was the, the, the mark of the beast thing. Well, hadn't happened yet. You know, it seems, seems to be okay. I, I haven't gotten ears and, I mean, any, no, no feathers, nothing, nothing weird because I took it. So it was, that was a bad take made, at least in some people's reasoning, in bad faith. Hey, let me stir up some mess here. That's the only reason they did it. We need to know how to approach that, how to handle that. And that is the principle, one of them, that he has moving forward. Let's read the passage, and then we'll see how that works out for us. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that uh, he sits in God's temple, proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? And you know what currently restrains him so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the, church, in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, 
encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. So we have some principles here. We have some factual nuggets to discuss and to to ponder about, but the broader message here is some principles. We see five uh, points that Paul is going to make in this passage. The first one is the crisis of deception. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that there was... Something going on concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the return, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, being gathered together. Don't be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or a message or by a letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord has come. So, again, we don't know if somebody showed up and said, hey, y'all, Jesus, come back. We don't know if they, uh, and then they said, hey, but we're from Paul. Paul told me to tell you. Or if they came to church, oh, I have a prophecy from the Lord. Jesus has already come back. Remember, he just told them in in the previous letter, probably the letter that Timothy has read to them, and now they're asking these questions, test everything that you're taught. Test the prophecies. Test it against, he wouldn't have said this, but we say this, Scripture. Or maybe it was that somebody showed up with a letter. Hey, I got a letter from Paul. Y'all didn't get it? Oh, I did. It's from Paul. It says right here, from Paul. So it has to be from him. Jesus has already come back. Y'all missed it. He's telling them, don't, don't believe it. Remember the church is going through persecution. Remember, it is rough right now for them. They are being persecuted because of their faith. Uh, they're, they're, they're friends. Uh, they, this is primarily a Gentile church. And as we've talked about over the years when we went through Acts, when you became a Christian and you, no longer, you could no longer take part in what the labor unions, the, the business guilds did when they sacrificed to gods and they threw all these wild parties and did all these things. And the Christians would say, we can't be a part of that. They would be uh, excluded from the guilds. They could lose their businesses. They could lose families. It was a bad time to be a Christian. And Paul's saying, as bad as it is, y'all, don't listen to all this stuff that says you've missed Jesus. The first thing we see about this crisis of deception is that the deceivers were capitalizing on confusion. Here's where we move into the realm of principle. The deceivers were capitalizing on this confusion. Whatever their reasoning, whatever their purpose was, they were using all the bad stuff to say, see how bad it is? You've missed it. You've missed Jesus coming back. The concerns, the trials, the trying situations that we go through allow deceivers an entrance to our lives to spread disinformation. That's what we can go back to in 2020. It's a pandemic, a virus we've never heard of. And and we create all these conspiracy theories that say it's this and it's that and you can't take this and you have to take that and the the shot does this and, and they are capitalizing on that confusion and then some are bringing the religious realm into it and saying a, a, a vaccination is the mark of the beast and that sort of thing and they are capitalizing on this confusion to deceive and to spread this disinformation and that's what was going on with this church. And what we see is that deceivers can make 
confident people doubt. There were people in that church in Thessalonica that, that knew Jesus hadn't come back. But then somebody says it with enough authority or says it's from the, the right person or they find, it, the inf- find the information in the right place and suddenly, well, maybe we have missed it. It works that way in our lives. I mean, if you hear or repeat a lie enough, it begins to sound plausible. We see it in church. If somebody will say something negative about somebody else enough times, even people that wouldn't have believed it the first time they heard it and know all the evidence against it begin to wonder if maybe it's not true. If the right person says it or if they hear it enough. And that doubt begins a rift either between people or in someone's life. And that's really all the deceivers want anyway, is to cause problems, to divide, to create more confusion. And then clearly, according to this passage, deceivers can sound authoritative. And sounding authoritative is the point. Use the big words. Or use the obscure words. Sound like you know what you're talking about. Reference somebody else who's supposed to know what they're talking about. Put doctor in front of their name or this or that or or whatever it is. And that's what they are doing here. He says, he, he tells them, don't be easily upset or troubled by a prophecy, right? The prophecy says, God told me. Don't be upset by a prophecy or by a message. A message is... I have talked to the experts, and I'm telling you. Or by a letter supposedly from us. See, I have this document from this person, and it says, it says don't, don't let those things upset or trouble you. Don't, the, the, the deceiver will sound impressive. It'll sound good. It'll sound like, well, that kind of makes sense. Or I kind of always thought that. Or I've worried about that. Or I've wondered about that. Truth is not impressed with how well you can spout a lie. Truth doesn't care what title you put in front of the lie. Truth doesn't care who all has said the lie. Truth is truth regardless of how authoritative the lie is. Paul says don't believe it just because it has authority behind it. That's the crisis of deception that they were facing in the church that we as believers are going to face nearly every day. So Paul moves on, verses 3 through 12, to the correction of facts. And he tells, it's very simple to put aside these lies, is what he's telling him, uh, telling the church. Here's the lie, you've missed Jesus. I'm going to tell you in just a paragraph or two, with facts, why that's not the case. And he begins to explain this, and, and he gives, again, a lot of uh, vague <laughs> detail. Don't let anybody deceive you. Uh, there's going to be apostasy, and then a, law, a man of lawlessness, and he's going to be destroyed, though. He, he's going to exalt himself, and he's going to talk about other gods, and he's going to say he's, he's, he is really God. But don't you remember we talked about this? Don't you remember that when I was with you, I told you? 
You know what restrains him now. That restraint's going to be taken away. But then Jesus is going to come back and destroy him. Uh, This is all, the lawlessness is based on Satan. And it's going to look impressive. It's going to have authority. It's going to have miracles and signs and wonders. All sorts of deception. And the people who are perishing, they're going to believe it. The people who have chosen not to follow the truth, they are going to believe the lie. They're not saved, he says, because they didn't believe the truth. And that delusion is going to grow even stronger because God's going to give them over to their delusion. He's going to send them a strong delusion. They'll believe, and they're all going to be condemned because they did not believe the truth but chose unrighteousness. Now, if we read that passage, we can say, Michael, that's a lot of detail. We need to examine and break apart that detail. But in correcting the facts, Paul is actually only concerned about one fact. He's only concerned about one thing. This passage, verses 3 through 12, is, by most, is considered by most scholars the most difficult passage in all of Paul's writings to translate and to interpret. There are things he says, there's grammar he uses, obvious images, and, 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 and he references things that aren't referenced anywhere else because he gives no details. He doesn't say, and this is the same thing John's going to talk about in his revelation, or John never says, and this is what Paul was talking about in that letter to the church in Thessalonica. There's, there's no one-to-one correlation anywhere in Scripture, so it's extreme, extremely difficult, so much so that the, the great theologian Augustine, you've probably heard his name, St. Augustine, there's a city in Florida named after him. Augustine said of this passage, the meaning of this completely escapes me. That was the conclusion he came to after spending months studying and looking at translating and examining. And he said, I don't know. Well, that's how difficult this passage is. So with all of this difficulty inherent in the passage, and then with no clarification or explanation... From Paul, he doesn't tell us what he means by man of lawlessness. He doesn't tell us what he means by apostasy exactly. What's that going to look like? He doesn't give any more details other than to say this is going to be a certain, obviously, a certain way. And, And we don't have third Thessalonians. We don't have people asking the question back. Now, Paul, when you said this, what did you mean? And could you explain this a little bit for me? We don't have that. So the people weren't even apparently asking for any explanation. Why? Because he said in verse 5, don't you remember when I was still with you? I used to tell you about this. He's reminding them and they're going, oh, okay. At least they should be. Oh, okay. We remember. Yeah, that's right. All this stuff's going to happen. So what is Paul's one point? What is the one fact he is concerned about? Things will get really bad. The devil will do it. What do you mean they're going to get bad? Well, lawlessness and apostasy and this guy, and he's going to, he's going to rise, raise up and rise up and, and he's going to try to take over. He's going to say he's God. It's going to be really, really bad. The devil's behind all of it, though. No details. So my question for us is, should we be worried about the details? Well, I don't think so. What do we need to hear? It's going to get bad. 
Remember what he, let's back up for just a second. Remember what question he is asking. They did not ask, or what question he is answering. They did not ask, hey, Paul, what's going to happen at the end? Apostasy, man of lawlessness, yada, yada, yada. They said, Paul, have we missed Jesus coming back? Because there's some, there's some people saying we did. He says, no, because it'll be obvious when he's about to come. And look around. Look around at your life. You're being persecuted, I know. Things look bad, I know. There's a lot of confusion right now and trials you're going through, I know. This ain't nothing like what it's going to be right before Jesus comes back. Y'all, it will be obvious what it will be like before Jesus comes back. Here's a principle for us. Look around in your life right now. We are all fully clothed. Most of us look like we've eaten okay recently. Uh, I think we all drove up here in cars, most of us. I don't know of anybody that walked. Maybe some of you did. We put $4 a gallon gas in our cars. We griped when we did it, but we did it. Everybody in town, every government official in town knows we're worshiping right here, knows that I will tell you to follow God, not the government. Freely, we can do that. And all around our country, that's happening today. Are things as bad as it's going to get? No. Can Jesus come back tomorrow? Oh, sure, he can come back whenever he wants to. But if we're looking for signs and miracles and wonders and, and apostasy and lawlessness and a man and a, uh, all this stuff and we're, oh, is that him, is that him, is that him, is that him? Paul's saying, that is not the point, y'all. It's going to be awful before Jesus comes back. But Jesus will stop it and God's in control of it. See, that's the, the rest of that story that's the rest of that that passage that's the rest of that one fact that he wants to get across to us jesus will stop it and god is in control of it jesus when when everything's really bad and it's really awful and you can't imagine it can't it can't get any worse you might be right you might be wrong but you might be right and jesus will come back and with a, his breath he'll destroy the man of lawlessness and he'll do what he talked about the beginning. We get to go to heaven, be with him forever. We're joined with uh, the other, other believers who have either died in the faith or are still alive. And we'll go and we'll have that great meeting in the air and we will be with him forever. So you don't have to worry about it all. And you know who is worried about it all? You know who is keeping track of everything? God. The one who's restraining the man of lawlessness right now, whatever that means. Because, y'all, I promise you, the man of lawlessness was not alive when Paul wrote this and been waiting 2,000 years to come forward. So Paul wasn't talking about restraining a particular person then, but retaining an idea of a person then, restraining a guy, uh, an idea of a person then. And he is, as far as we can tell, still restrained. One day, God will decide... All right, you got it, go for it. The end's going to be rough, but you can go. He steps back, he doesn't restrain him anymore. It gets bad, God says, Jesus, your time. Boom, it's over. 
If we spend books and books and hours and days and years trying to pick apart a passage and figure out and pinpoint exactly when Jesus is going to come back, we are missing what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, as a pastor to a church, y'all, don't be heartbroken, deceived, troubled by the fact that you missed Jesus. Don't be troubled, heartbroken, deceived, worried about the fact that things are going to get bad. Yeah, they're going to get bad, and Jesus will stop it. But back to 1 Thessalonians. But he's coming back. So all that stuff really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why does it matter when he is? Why does it matter how bad it's going to get? Are you going to change that? Well, if it gets any worse, I'm going to, what are you going to do? Die or not. And that's all you're going to do. And then Jesus comes back. There is some comfort here, though. In the end of this section, in verse 12, he, he begins that comfort by saying that the deceivers and, and persecutors, those who are lying and those that are persecuting you now, they're going to be fooled by all the lies and they're going to be condemned because they didn't believe the truth of Jesus. Why are they going to believe the lies? Because they didn't believe the truth. It's amazing how we believe the lies because we don't believe the truth. And that sounds obvious, right? Well, of course, if you don't know the truth, you believe the lies. But Paul is saying these people have lived the lie. And when they get the opportunity, they're going to live all the others. And that will be their condemnation. They will not believe because for so long they've been dug in with those, with those lies. So we come to the, the hinge in the passage, the comfort of truth. The third point he makes. This is why we really needed to get going, uh, get, uh, move on through this passage this morning and not stop right there at verse 12. But we ought to thank God always for you basically because I'm not describing y'all. I know you're confused, and, and, and that's the deceiver's fault. But don't get stuck on the confusion, because the whens and the hows and the, and the, and the what is that's not your worry, he says. That's not your concern. You don't have to, as soon as God steps aside and makes you God, then you can worry about all that other stuff. But until then, why don't you just, I don't know, obey Scripture. Love people, be gracious, to share the gospel. Build each other up. Encourage each other, he says in 1 Thessalonians, with these words. And how do we know comfort from truth? Paul is telling them that it is truth that comforts, not details. Would it be comforting to know exactly how the end is going to happen? For you, I know a lot of us think it. we would. If, oh, if I just knew how it was going to end, I'd feel better. Really? Because if you knew every detail, you'd be watching for that every day of your life. Is it today? Is it today? Oh, but I want to know when. I, I know, some of y'all are going to roll your eyes. But in the movie Infinity Wars, right? Marvel. There's a scene where Doctor Strange, who can see in the future, is looking at all the different ways Thanos gets beaten. And if you haven't seen the movie, sorry, spoiler alert. 
he looks at all the different ways, and somebody better than me, 14 million and six, something like that, he looks at all of them. And I think Iron Man asks him, how many do we win? He says, one. And there are scenes where everybody kind of wants to know, how's it going to end? And even in the next movie, when they, the, the climactic battle is happening and, and they're almost going to defeat him, Tony looks at Doctor Strange like, is this it? Is this how I do it? Is, is this how I'm supposed to beat Thanos? And all Doctor Strange does is go, just, there's just one way it's going to happen. The details would not have made that any better. As a matter of fact, what Doctor Strange told Iron Man was, if you know the details, it won't happen. Now, right, analogies all break down, but it would have done in the movie them no good to know the details because they, they would have tried to manufacture it. Wouldn't we do that? I mean, I know none of us are busybody Christians, but I think probably I would be, well, God probably needs me to help him do this thing to get this thing in order so that he can come back. I'm going to do, no, he's, it's not your worry. And those details would not comfort you. Who's the man of lawlessness? Wouldn't help you. What does apostasy mean exactly? That wouldn't help you. He's going to sell himself to the temple? When is that going to? It wouldn't help you. What will help you is knowing that all this bad stuff's going to happen and Jesus wins. There is the comfort. It might satisfy curiosity, but it isn't comforting. Only truth is comforting. And Paul then continues in uh, verse 14. He calls you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth. See, that's the true comfort. That is where we rest. Jesus, I want to know. Trust me. But what happens if, trust me, yeah, but in case you need me to help you do, trust me, that's the comfort. I have a child, I'm not going to tell you which one, who has to know the details of every day for the next six years. This child wants a, a mental calendar of everything that's going to happen. And sometimes we give it, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes the details spoil the surprise. Sometimes the details may change. Sometimes the details, all right, this is it. It's necessary that you know for whatever reason. Here, here it is. I, as a kid, found my Christmas presents one time. One time. Actually, I think it was birthday presents. Once. I actually got them. That was like the worst birthday ever. The surprise was, was spoiled. I knew it was coming. I'm like, oh, yay. I'm, I, mean, I liked the gift. I was happy about the gift. But there was no joy in the opening. No, no, no uh, uh, pleasure in, in, in unwrapping it. No, no, ah, I got it. It was... Thank you. Again, analogies break down. But that's not comforting. It did not comfort me to know. It did not comfort me, especially, it would not comfort our children to know 
every possible negative thing coming in our future. Well, we got, a, we got this coming up. We have that coming up. We're not sure about this. We're worried about that. We don't tell, our, our, you don't tell your four-year-olds, five-year-olds, ten-year-olds, whatever, the worst possible outcome in your family. Why? You want them to trust you. That's where the comfort is. The comfort's in the trust. Jesus is the same way. Trust me. Knowing Jesus is comforting. Knowing Jesus, he says at the end of this passage, gets you the glory of Jesus. Verse 14, so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We move from the comfort of truth then to the command of teaching. This is a reminder of 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 21, where Paul said, but test all things. I mentioned this beginning. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Verse 15, he says now, So then, brothers and sisters, and here's our series title, Stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. Stand firm on Scripture. Like I said, Paul wouldn't call what he wrote Scripture. Peter did. Peter said, that's Scripture. But Paul wouldn't, but that's what it is. The things that we taught you, Scripture, that's the tradition he's talking about. Not man-made traditions. Holy Spirit breathed through the apostles' writings, uh, traditions, Scripture. Stand firm on that Scripture, he says. Be immovable where Scripture is clear. We don't debate whether Jesus is the only way to heaven. We don't debate whether it's salvation by faith or works because we believe Scripture is clear. But there are plenty of places where we should admit that there's a, there are different understandings or interpretations of this. We are clear on what it is, the principle here, but how it's going to work out, we don't know. Scripture is inerrant, no errors. Interpretations of Scripture are not. We can be wrong about how we interpret Scripture. We can look at Revelation, and we could all be wrong. Like, every way it's interpreted, God shows up, and actually, I believe this is what's going to happen. God shows up and does it, and we're like, oh, yeah, boy, we all missed that one, didn't we? Yeah, well, but you missed more. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. We still are wrong. Scripture is inerrant. Interpretations are not. That's why we're here, right? To learn more, to go deeper in Scripture. And we have to be comfortable in not knowing. There are things we don't understand. Y'all remember me explaining like how Jesus and God are the same but distinct, right? But y'all all got it. Y'all don't have any problem with that. Trinity, too. No issues there. You just got it. Liars. If you said you had it, you're lying. When scripture is difficult or intentionally vague, or sometimes there's no teaching on it at all, how, how, how many of y'all grew up the, the kind of Baptist that, that, that couldn't, couldn't dance? Mm-hmm. Couldn't play cards? Mm-hmm. Ooh. No dice in the house either, I bet, huh? Makes Monopoly tough. There's no scripture for that. 
nah, really not even principles. But you know, let's not stop, step on too many toes here. Let's just move on. Um, we have to be comfortable saying, you know what? Scripture doesn't tell us. So your guess is as good as mine. I'm going to err on this side. You can err on that side. Um, and, and, and maybe we'll find out one day when we get to heaven which side was right. This one's vague. I really strongly believe that this is what's meant, and you strongly believe this is what was meant. All right, you know what? We, we can still be brothers and sisters on this, and, and just we're going to disagree. That's okay. And we move on. And I think that's where we are on verses 3 through 12. Who knows? Read 10 books, get 11 opinions. Who knows? Do know one thing, Jesus is going to clear it up. And last, Paul prays. And we see the consolation of prayer. So we have the crisis of deception, then we have the correction of facts. We come to the comfort of truth, which is Jesus. We have the command of teaching no scripture, and therefore you will uh, be comforted. And then finally, the, the consolation of truth. Pray to know the truth. That's what Paul is doing here. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement, eternal encouragement and good hope by grace encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. May Jesus do this. May God do this. Pray to know the truth. Pray to know uh, that, that God allows you to see the difference between the truth and deception. People will deceive. People will deceive intentionally. Sometimes they will deceive you about the, the scriptures intentionally. Sometimes they will deceive you about other people intentionally. But people will intentionally deceive you. Sometimes they'll accidentally deceive you. Most of the time they're doing it intentionally. Pray to know the difference. Pray to know what scripture is saying. Lord, help me with this passage. Help me be okay not knowing, but if I need to know, help me know. I mean, this is really just called discipleship. Lord, show me who you are according to this passage that I'm about to read. Show me who I am according to this passage I'm about to read and what I need to do to be more like you and less like me. It's just discipleship. Confusion and fear aren't of God. So as we come to Scripture and it confuses us and frightens us, then we're not approaching it right. That's not God's purpose. So if that is what we get from it, let's go back and read it again and see, is this supposed to, how is this scaring me? How is this causing confusion and fear? Maybe I'm missing the point. If verses 3 through 12 calls confusion and fear, you're missing the point. Because it is comfort, right? It is a pastoral passage, not a predictive passage. Paul is saying, have comfort, be comforted. No, you hadn't missed Jesus. It's going to be awful before he comes. It hadn't gotten that bad, so he hadn't come. Study God's word and pray. And you'll know. Yes, we'll be confused by interpretations and, and an inability to interpret things. But that's a result of our fallen nature. That is not a result of God being intentionally obtuse. He's not trying to hide things from us unless he wants to hide things from us. Or it could be we're just trying to find stuff hidden where he's hidden nothing. The Holy Spirit will lead us to the truth we need. 
And then he prays the last verse, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and deed. This is encouraging the hearers and it will deter the deceivers. God will encourage those who have heard the false reports. I know you heard the lie, but read my word. There's the truth. Where's Jesus in all this? There's the truth. Encourage those who have heard false reports. And God will strengthen those who have accepted the love of the truth, but are confused. Because confusion can turn into deception pretty quickly if we're not careful. So God will strengthen you as you read his word, to become not a deceiver, but an encourager, that you don't go the way of the deceiver. The concern here is that we not share in the deception and that we believe the truth. But there is an overlap of those who would both deceive and are unbelievers. The, the Venn diagram, those, those circles start to get really close together. So the truth is that we have the ultimate comfort in Jesus Christ. The truth is the end doesn't matter. The end is known by God and he is who needs to know. The truth is that we, though we are unclear, though we are confused, we can have the guarantee We can have the the ticket that gets us beyond it. If you've been to the airport lately, and I'm not talking about Lake Charles. I love Lake Charles Airport. But if you've been to Houston lately, you can have a ticket. Look how I'm holding it. How old am I? I didn't say you can have a ticket. I said you can have a ticket. You can have a ticket. And you know right where that plane is. And even driving up, you can see that plane. I got a ticket. I'm going to that plane right there. But have you tried to get to the gate? The lines, the mazes, the trains, especially if there's construction in the airport. Not easy to get there. Oh, it's confusing. But I know all the trials of the airport... All the tribulations of TSA and the pat-downs. All the luggage checks. Through all of that, I know that on that plane is a seat for me. All I've got to do is get to the plane. And if I'll just follow the signs, do what I'm told, navigate it, I get on the plane. That's comfort. Jesus, faith, salvation is our ticket. And I've got to get through the trials of life, and I've got to go through the mazes and some some uncomfortable pat-downs on the way and all these other things that are happening. But I know that when I get to the end, when I get through the airport, when I get through the confusion, when I get through the trials, and I don't even have to worry about those because it's marked for me, if I'll just obey, if I'll just do what I'm told to get to the end, I trust I've got a seat with Jesus. The details don't comfort. Jesus, the truth, does. The truth is, the wages of sin is death. The truth is, you don't get to go to heaven automatically. The truth is, you deserve hell. 
because of your sinfulness. Romans 6.23 tells us, the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the truth is, God did not want to leave you in that state. The truth is, the gift of God is eternal life. You can have eternity with Jesus. That's the truth. He has provided you eternal life. But the truth is, you don't get it just because you were born. You don't get it just, just because. The truth is, you have to accept salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. The gift of God is eternal life. It is in Jesus Christ our Lord. The truth is, you don't have to worry about navigating the maze. The truth is, you can have the ticket with the seat next to Jesus. But you must respond in faith. you got to have the ticket. They ain't just passing out the tickets to everybody. Trust him. Believe in him. Place your faith in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then the rest of the stuff won't matter. You'll have the truth. In a few minutes, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to that message. You can accept salvation this morning through faith in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to talk about that some more, I'm going to be up here at the front. Amy will be down here at my left. We'll have a couple of men in the back. They would like to talk to you about that. Maybe this morning you're going to re- want to respond in some other way. You want to be baptized. You've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, but you want to tell uh, the, the church, I want to go ahead and follow Jesus. Pat, you can go to the next slide. Thank you. Uh, you want to follow in baptism. Maybe you need to respond by conforming your life to Christ in some way or submitting to God's plan and purpose. Maybe this morning you need to give some confusion and fear back to God and say, you know what, I, I'm going to... I'm going to... Quit trying to figure this out, and I'm going to go back to this, this trust thing with you. Maybe you want to join our church. You'll have the opportunity to respond as we sing in a few minutes. But let me pray now that God will move on our hearts. Lord, we come to you thanking you that it is your truth that comforts. We thank you that you've left us not in confusion, not in fear. That is not your goal or purpose, but you've given your word to show us that we can have comfort. May we find the comfort there. And Lord, if we can't find the comfort in your word, then may we examine why in our lives. It could be that we have not accepted the truth of Jesus, the comfort of knowing the truth, the way, and the life, Jesus Christ. God, if we struggle with that, give us strength, give us wisdom. We pray for your encouragement in every word and work. God, we also pray that you will reveal to us if we have not trusted Jesus as Savior. We've given lip service. We like the idea of it. We've shown up for church for however long, but we have never placed our faith in him. I pray that you would move on hearts today to do that. Lord, we ask that you would move on every heart. We all have something we can give you. We all have something to turn over to you. We all have a way we need to change because we have spent time with you today. Lord, show us our personal next step to take in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'd like prayer, like to talk to someone, now during this song is your time to do that. Let's stand, let's sing, let's worship Jesus and do business with God this morning.